0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. It's just a great day, right? We got the night to shine, gets announced that. Today is my favorite holiday, daylight savings time. And so it's just a great day all around, an extra hour of sleep. And we are continuing through Acts. We're going to hit chapter 25 and 26 today. Uh, If you've been with us this year, we've been going through Acts, and where we came across, we are now with Paul, and he's in jail. And if you remember from last week, uh, he he had this journey to get to a, a different jail. He was being held captive, and this group of 40 Jewish men made a vow, an oath that they would not eat or drink until they killed Paul. And so Paul, in the darkness of night, with 400 soldiers, makes an escape. the the, gov- the, the person over the government over him uh, gets him out with 475 soldiers, and Paul, in the middle of it, head to a new location. and And there now he's now in a different prison cell, and they have a quick trial, and they decide that they're not going to rule out on his on his situation right now. And there he sits for two years. 2 years imagine what has happened just think back about in your own life what's happened in the past 2 years good things bad things what has 2 years brought to you in the past 2 years uh, i had an opportunity to travel and see one of my compassion kids it was amazing in the past two years, uh, I' got to baptize my son. In the past two years, I lost 17 pounds. In the past two years, we watched all of the, season of, uh, the all seasons of the office, and in the past two years, I've gained 18 pounds. And so this past two years has been wonderful, right? And I think about all the things that have happened in the past two years. And you can imagine in your own life, think about the stories and maybe a new job or, or a new relationship, maybe a marriage or a birth of a child. What has happened in two years? For Paul, he's been in jail. For two years, he's just sat in a prison cell. He's probably witnessed to the other prisoners, maybe to the guards. But for two years, nothing else has happened. I got to think during this two years, he's been wondering, why am I here? For this two years, he's got to have been thinking, would I not be better off if I, was in, if I was free and if I was planting churches? He's probably thinking in this two years about the church in Philippi, the church in, in Thessalonica, thinking what other churches could I be planting? What could God be doing in these two years with me? But there he sits. And so this is where we pick up on the story is in chapter 25, we see verse 1. Three days later, three days after arriving in the providence, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. There's a new governor in town. There's a new leadership. The old one Felix is gone, and Festus is now here. And so Festus is going to be hearing, hearing previous court cases, and people want to present their cases to him. He's making new rulings, and maybe the ones that are undecided, like Paul's. And people are coming to him now, presenting them their cases. They, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Remember those 40 guys made a pact to not eat or drink until he was dead? You got 40 really weak guys waiting to jump Paul when he gets there, right? Uh, It's been two years. And so they probably broke that pact. They've probably eaten or drinking now. But they still would like to fulfill that vow. They still have a plan and a desire to kill Paul. It's not enough that he's just been in jail. We want him dead. And so they have this plan to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. So they've requested that, the the Jewish leaders have requested that he would come to Jerusalem. And and as with any situation when there's new leadership, everyone's kind of testing their ways. And and he wants to be sure to flex his muscles. And he says, no, you know what? I'm not going to do what you want. But why don't you come to Caesarea and we'll figure it out. Kind of making sure that it's still on my grounds, right? That Festus is still in charge. And so he presents that we could have this court here in Caesarea. So after spending eight or ten days with him... Festus went down to Caesarea for eight and ten days. Eight to ten days, the Jewish leaders have been telling him all the things that Paul has done wrong. The Jewish leaders have been telling him all the, the rules, all the laws, all the mistakes that Paul has made. They have been trying to present this case, painting, painting this case, probably even have their best lawyer there presenting why he should be not only brought to Jerusalem, but why he should be ultimately killed. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. For all this time they've been presenting these, but they have no proof. There's nothing that they can make stick to Paul. Verse 8 Then Paul made his defense I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul's a wise guy, right? What happens if he goes back to Jerusalem? He's going to be killed. Maybe by 40 weak guys, I don't know, but he knows that there's a plot to take him out. And so he's not going to go back to Jerusalem with them. Instead, he's going to find another way. And that way is Caesar. Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I've not done anything wrong, any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with the council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. So we have this opportunity, and, and this part of the story, is, it's kind of hard as a Christian, as a, as a mature believer. You've probably been in this situation where you wonder, where do I step back? How, do I, how much do I step back and, and put everything in God's hands and, and let him orchestrate it? And where do I step back and realize that I've put everything in God's hands, and he's giving me an opportunity to step in? You see, in chapter 23, verse 11, in the darkness of night in a prison cell, Jesus came alongside Paul and said, "Just as you've preached to him about me in Jerusalem, you will do so in Rome." So Paul knows he's headed to Rome. Jesus has told him, this is his future. He knows this is coming. But where does he step in and make it happen? He appeals to Caesar. Which means he's going to go up the appeal line until he eventually gets to Rome, right? He's going to make it happen. But, but how do you know when to step in and, and kind of make that, push that in that direction? i got to think that these two years have not been wasted. These two years have been time that he's spent walking and talking with God in a prison cell. These two years of that he's been praying, looking for God's wisdom, looking for God's discernment. I gotta think that in these two years, God has presented with him. You'll be presented a time, and you'll know when that is. Because for two years he could have appealed to Caesar, and he doesn't until this moment. He knew at the right time. It's a hard balance, right? As you look in the Old Testament, there's stories of when the Israelites are there and the, the Egyptians are coming after them and they're stuck between the Egyptians and the, and the river. And the message we see in Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Can you imagine that? Death is coming. And you've been instructed, just wait on God. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we just need to pray and Wait. But then there's other opportunities where God's given us an opportunity, an answer, a chance to step in. As you see in Joshua, when they're about to take the promised land, Joshua 1.6, it says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. He's saying, I've already prepared this, and I'm giving you an opportunity. Step in and go take it. And so it's this weird balance, right, that we've all struggled with, is to have this discernment of where do I step in and where do I step out? Where do I know that God is prompting me to take that step forward? we were at a a pastor's visitation trip in Ecuador about 10 years ago, and we were visiting a school that was really run down, and the headmaster was telling us about this project that he wanted to do for the kids. There's several hundred kids at the school, and he said a thousand dollars is all we need. And he asked this group of pastors, would you pray about that? we all said, sure, sure, yeah, we'll pray about that. And so one person said, well, let's just even pray right now. And we bowed our heads, and then one pastor speaks up, and he says, we can pray about this, and we should. But after we're done praying, we can be the answer to that prayer. He said, we got all these churches here represented. Our church could give $100, and I know your church could give $100, and your church, and quickly people volunteered, and before we knew it, the entire $1,000 was made up plus some we're able to be the answer to that headmaster's prayer request. And so there's the question, there's this balance of discernment, of where do we step in and where do we have patience? And I think the answer lies that Paul isn't rushing into this. For two years, he's been praying patiently. For two years, he's been passionately following God. We're going to see, he talks about for two years, God has been with him all along. And so he knows to step in and appeal to Caesar. Not just to avoid the death in Jerusalem, but to fulfill God's plan and God's promise. So chapter 25 ends and chapter 26 comes. And so you have Festus who now is sending this up the appeal process. And you have King Agrippa who would be next. King Agrippa comes and arrives with his sister Bernice. And they come and Festus presents this case. He tells all about Paul and what Paul's been accused of, tells about the Jews. Maybe even he's heard about the plot to kill him and, and tells about how if he goes back to Jerusalem, it's certain death. And we're trying to figure out what, what needs to happen to Paul. King Agrippa is very familiar with, the, with religious things. He was familiar with the Jewish faith. He was the one that appointed the high priest. It also says in chapter 26 that he was familiar with the way, which is another term for with those that are following Jesus Christ. So you have King Agrippa, who's familiar with both the Jews and the Christians, and and he's intrigued. And he says, tell me, bring this Paul before me. I'd like to hear him. So the next day, they have a court, and there's Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice and and probably temple guards and and servants and and other leaders in the temple who are in the government. and, And you have the government guards, and then they bring in Paul. And Paul presents his case. And he shares the story that we've seen multiple times throughout the book of Acts. That every time Paul has an opportunity to share his testimony, he he does it so clearly and boldly. And he tells about how he used to persecute the Christians and he used to attack them. And and then he was on his way to Damascus to do the same thing. And and Jesus appears before him. And he's blinded and and he he meets Jesus. and, And he shares this story. And he's sharing this to the king. And he's sharing this to the Festus. And he's sharing this to all the people in the room. And that's where we pick up on the story in chapter 26, verse 15. He's sharing about the encounter he has with Jesus. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to, turn from the, turn from the, and to turn them from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the basic thrust of what the Jews are upset about. Paul's been presenting that there's another avenue for the Gentiles to come to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. In fact, he's saying that there's only one avenue for the Jews or the Gentiles, and it is through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he's telling the Gentiles that they can be there at the foot of Yahweh. And the Jews, this has blown their minds. They're so angry, they're so upset about this. How dare you say that the Gentiles could be there too? How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? And so Paul is sharing with King Agrippa, sharing with Festus, sharing with Bernice. This is what Jesus presented to me. This is what Jesus told me. I am to go to the Jews and the Gentiles and tell them that they could come and be sanctified. That they could come and be free from sin. And so he presents this case and and then he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He's saying the Jews have these charges, but I report to someone higher, to God, the God who King Agrippa is familiar with. He says, first, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. I think this is a section, a a verse that sometimes we would gloss over quickly. At least we gloss over in our own lives this, this idea of repentance. So often in Christendom, we often overlook that and we see the grace, which is amazing, that God has given us this forgiveness, but we miss that we need to turn. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sinful ways. It says that he had called them to demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. To live a repentant life. Dale, one of our elders, had shared at a, at a recent elders' meeting a, a quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I think we have it up on here. It says, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And grace is not cheap. Jesus died on the cross. To give us grace. Jesus died. It took his life. And his conquering of death. To give us our forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sin. And so let's not take that lightly. Paul doesn't take that lightly. That, that is part of his message. To the Jews and the Gentiles. You must repent. And you must live a repentant life. And so he shares this. And he even shares this to the king. Imagine Right? The king has the opportunity to free him. The king has the opportunity to put him to death. And he's bold enough to proclaim this to the king, to everyone around. He's still faithful to share the message that God has. So verse 21 says, That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I love that. Did he catch that? He says, God has been with me to this very day. Let's go back to the, where the Jews caught him. They catch him in the temple, and they begin to beat him, trying to kill him. He's then thrown in jail. He's then gone to a court where they, they're so violent that the governor take, removes him because they think they will rip him in two. He's then, there's a threat on his life, and he goes, and he then sits in a jail cell for two years. And his response is, but God has helped me to this very day. Wow. In the midst of that horrible two years, he sees God's been with him every step. He says, So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said, said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Paul explains his Christianity in clear view. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Festus, I don't know if Festus just really thinks he's crazy, that he's just talking nuts. If, if maybe Festus is a little convicted, and he's rather than deal with that guilt, he'll just throw insults at Paul. But either way, he calls him crazy. And Paul's defense says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. So now he turns his gaze upon King Agrippa. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul is laying it on the line. This is pretty risky here, right? We, we read these stories without having much invested in it, but Paul's got a lot invested. Keen Agrippa can have his head cut off or free him. And he takes this opportunity to preach to King Agrippa. He says, Keen, I know you know the Jewish ways. I know you know this faith. I know you do. You know what, the, what Moses said, you know what the prophet said. Don't you? Won't you proclaim that you know this? And, and Luke just summarizes this trial. But most believe this trial was got, had gone on for hours upon hours. Most believe that, Jesus would, that Paul would have shared how Jesus fulfilled these prophets' predictions. That's why he says, you know what the prophets said of past. And so he turns to Agrippa and says, you believe, don't you? Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that it is such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who listen to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Speaking to the king, to Festus, to Bernice, speaking to the guards, the servants, the court recorders, he's speaking to you and me. Because we got to be part of this trial this day. And Paul is saying, I hope that you can be what I am. That you can be a Christian. That you can be set free from your sins. That you would be set free from the grips of the devil. Even though he's in these chains. First hour, someone came forward and said, I want to be set free. Got that message that Paul was sharing to King Agrippa. And so... Paul is presenting his case. But it's more than a defense. Paul is presenting the case of Jesus Christ. And I love that. Last, last year we looked at, we did a series on Jonah. Jonah, a guy who God had a great plan for, and he did everything in his means to avoid that plan, right? He got and got on a pirate ship and turned and went the opposite direction. Did anything that he could to not follow God's plans. And then you have Paul here who's been told to preach. And it was predicted that he would even be preaching to kings, and here's this opportunity. And instead of pleading for his freedom from these chains, he sees this opportunity to present to King Agrippa the chance for the king to be free from the sin. And so the king rose, verse 30, The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death. Or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to, to Caesar. It's interesting that these two leaders see that Paul is held captive. And, and through the human eyes, he, he has been, right? We talked about what have you done in the past two years? What, is, what has happened in the past two years? And for Paul, it's a prison cell. Three meals, darkness. That's been his, three year, his two years. But for Paul, he's free. Way more free than those who are holding him captive. Because Agrippa and Festus, they're held captive to their sins. They're held captive to Satan. And Paul, he says, I wish anyone that hears me this day would have what I have, which is Jesus Christ would have what I have, which is freedom, freedom of salvation, freedom of eternity with God, freedom from my sins. All those Jews and Gentiles that have heard me preach and are living a repentant life have this freedom. And so we come this morning to the time of communion, and I just want us to remember to meditate on that, on that thought that as the bread and the juice is going to be passed, that you have an opportunity to reflect on your freedom. We got a lot of chains around us. There's a lot of chains going on. There's chains of financial chains that are weighing us down. There's a lot of chains uh, of medical chains and chains and diagnoses of relationships and struggles at school, and struggles at work. There are these chains that are weighing us down. And not to belittle any of those, but for a moment, realize this is a short time. And we have an eternity of freedom because we don't have the chains of sin anymore. That as we repent and we come before him and we give our life over to Christ, we're set free. That Paul, who's been a prisoner for two years, is more free than Festus and King Agrippa. That you and I are free free from our sin, free from eternal damnation free because Jesus died on the cross. And our sins that put him there were washed away when he rose again 3 days later. So this morning as we go into this time of communion, I want to encourage you to just to pray. I want to encourage you to spend this time focus on him. Focus on God who has come to set you free. And let these chains fall. Let the chains that are holding you back fall. If you'll pray with me. Lord, I just come and I thank you for your, your care. I thank you that you have come to set us free. God, I pray that this morning as we come to this time of communion that we would be reminded what you did on the cross. And God, let us not take that lightly, but, but to apply that to our life. That we must live repentant. That we must live for you. And in doing so, we will live free. God, if there are people here that need to accept Christ, that need that freedom, have never experienced it, I, I ask that you you guide them to come speak to someone, in, to one of the elders in the fireside room after service, or or to speak to a leader, or, or just the person sitting next to them, and be able to guide the conversation. To lead to freedom. That we'd be able to give our life over to you, that we'd be able to proclaim that with baptism, that we'd be able to Proclaim that with a life lived, repent. And God, many people here are struggling with chains. And God, let the chains fall. Let us feel your forgiveness. The chains of sin, the chains of guilt, the chains of Satan that's entangled us. Let the chains fall, for we are free.